Hello, welcome back to another podcast episode of Real Conversations About Aging Parents. Today we're going to have another solo podcast, so that's just me talking. And I'm going to focus on the origin of what we call the sandwich generation, kind of where that came from, some of the cultural and economic forces that produce that concept, and then what it means to me today. So when people refer to themselves as being in the sandwich generation, that isn't like a traditional generation that we would think of, of people born in a certain time frame. It's really a term that that stretches all the way back into the early 1980s. There was a social worker named Dorothy Miller who wrote a book in 1981 called The Sandwich Generation, Adult Children of Aging Parents. And it was that first um, foray into understanding the different challenges and stresses faced by individuals who are juggling the responsibilities of both caring for their parents and for their children. So that was the idea of the sandwich, that you were sort of in the middle and you had a a piece of bread on either side of you that was applying pressure. And that was when the the term started, but it's really persisted until this day, um, this idea that the sandwich generation really does represent largely women, although could be obviously uh, men as well, that uh, find themselves in this life phase where they're caring for the generation before them and the generation after them. So we'll take it a couple of steps further and just think about some of the pressures or things that have happened that have helped produce this idea or this extra pressure in that time of life. So first and foremost is to think about the extension of the human lifespan just in the last century or so. So if you look back at prehistoric times, you're thinking, you know, before the first century, that really most humans would live somewhere between 20 to 40 years. There was high rates of infant mortality, maternal mortality, just death was always amongst us as a species. That extended a little bit further into the Middle Ages, but again, we had a lot of disease and obviously not a lot of medical care, but the improvement of agricultural practices, sanitation, and other things helped kind of extend us into the upper 30s or 40s for a life expectancy. But we really didn't see a vast improvement out of the 40s as a lifespan until the 20th century. And that's when you saw modern technology, healthcare, disease prevention, a big improvement in living standards. And that's when we saw the life expectancy nearly double to close to 75 or 80 years. And it's actually hung around that point. Here in the last couple of years with COVID, that was the first time we had taken a step back uh, by a year or two, both for, for men and women. But overall, there was really, you lived to about 40 years until the 1900s. And by the end of the 20th century, you know, our life expectancy had gone up to 75 or 80. And really, culturally, we haven't really adapted to how we are going to tackle this increased life expectancy. So what comes with an increased life expectancy is also an increase to the childbearing years, an increase to the duration of your working years. And you've seen that with the edging up of the retirement age. It just seems like there's always upward pressure on when you'd qualify for Medicare benefits or when you qualify for other retirement benefits. And so, you know, hand in hand with having a longer lifespan, it's also brought up new challenges that it may feel like we should have already figured all this out, but we're literally, you listening to this podcast are one of the first generations to really contemplate what does it like to take care of an 80 or 90 year old parent or grandparent? Those people didn't really 
exist that much back in the day, even a generation or two before them. I mean, of course, there were always those that would have the, the blessing of a long life, but just in general, we are literally still on the cutting edge of understanding how different societies take care of people that are aging, especially those who need help or other support. So one of the factors in the in the sandwich generation and the reason it didn't exist say a thousand years ago is we are just living longer. And so you are you can have a period of life where you have both children and parents who are depending on you or or need support uh, with care. The second factor is the uh, women's role in the workforce. And so throughout human history, women have always played uh, really prominent roles in the workforce. But as far as formal work or employment here in the United States, um, up until about World War One, it really had been in areas like uh, textiles or domestic service. But when World War One hit, the participation in the workforce for women took a rapid upturn, right? So a lot of the men were serving in the military, and so women stepped into all those roles that were traditionally held by men, such as working in factories or offices or other industries that weren't common for women to work in. So if you could think of the early 1900s as a time when the, there was a transformation in the career paths of women. Um, and then after World War I, that workforce participation continued to expand. So it didn't just stop, but then it was bolstered again when we hit World War II, where there was a similar boom in the expansion of, of women's careers. Again, as the men went away in the military to fight World War II, that's when you had uh, Rosie the Riveter and other iconic images emerging out of the 1920s to the 1940s, showing women going into new careers and having more economic empowerment. And that was fought, as many things are, um, later by a backlash in the 1950s and 60s, kind of, you know, uh, encapsulated by the Leave it to Beaver. And if you remember things about that show uh, with June Cleaver wearing the, the pearls and the high heels and the what was referred to at the time as the cult of domesticity, which is trying to put women back into traditional uh, mother roles where they weren't working necessarily, uh, and a big cultural emphasis on the celebration of traditional gender roles. And that lasted for maybe a decade or two. And then, of course, you have the 1960s and 70s, which was another pendulum swing uh, towards the feminist movements advocating for women's rights and equal opportunity in education and employment. And that's where you really started to see the numbers tick up as far as professional opportunities, uh, medical, legal, and other academic type careers. And then again, starting just after that in the 1980s, participation has for women in the workforce has continued to increase year over year. The exception of that being the workforce disruption during the pandemic, which disproportionately affected women as far as leaving their relative career paths. And so we've already spoken about the extension of the lifespan, but if you look at historically, the individuals most responsible for providing care for aging adults up until that time traditionally was an adult daughter, more specifically an adult daughter if she wasn't married or had otherwise had a family on her own. And when you take those gender roles and increase the economic and career opportunities and extend the lifespan, all of a sudden the equation has shifted much more quickly than our um, agility and our ability to, to tackle these problems. And so I think we, you know, if you're like me, you tend to kind of think we're modern and we have the internet and, you know, we are an advanced society, but really looking back historically, 
this podcast, everything that we're talking about, the experiences that are out there, this is the leading edge of us asking, what does this mean, particularly as a professional female, but just in general for these different life phases? They're, they look different now than they have looked in previous generations. And, and what are some of the, the stresses that come with that? What are some of the solutions that we can come up with? And just in general, what's the, the, the conversation? So we talked first about the extension of the human lifespan. The second was the change of the role in women and as far as their career opportunities and their economic independence. And then the third one, which is even more recent than that, has been the advent of alternative living situations for older adults. And that would be things like assisted living communities, retirement communities, senior housing. These were not concepts that were around 50, 60 years ago. These are relatively recent. In the last 25 to 30 years, have really come on the scene offering alternative settings for people that are aging. And the studies that have been done uh, have shown that although, although people prefer to age in place, so over 90% of people prefer to age in place, they also strongly prefer not to live with their adult children. That is consistently throughout generations and, and considering lots of other factors, something that, that comes out in the literature showing that people much preferred to live independently on their own and still have relationships with their family. But as far as this, you know, pre-existing preference for living with adult children, that's not there. And nor do they want their adult children coming to live with them either. Now, again, there's multiple exceptions to that. There are cultural religious practices that are much more prominent in some areas that would point towards that not being as strong of a sentiment. But in general, in the United States, when assisted living facilities really hit the market, the demand was really, really outstanding and has continued to grow year and year over year, but we haven't really solved the economics of that. So the cost of these facilities can be extremely expensive and they are not quite yet figured into retirement planning and those types of things. But the reason that you're seeing these facilities show up and become so successful is because of that sentiment. Uh, and some of it is generational of you know, I'll do for myself being independent, fiercely independent and private as well. And these types of settings are offering an alternative for aging that doesn't include a, a depending on an adult child like it may have been 50 or 60 years ago when there really were no other options. So you couple that with the housing shortage and you couple that with the economic system that we have, which basically requires both parents to be working and now we have the new ingredients, right? And that's really what I would call the modern sandwich generation, which is mid to late career female who has maybe had her kids later in life. That's a whole other trend, right? So I have many, many friends of mine having their first children in their early 40s, which puts them, you know, having school age kids into their late 50s. And that is also a new experience for women uh, compared to it being much less common, say 50 or 60 years ago, to have kids in your early 40s. So all of these things, I think, are coming into a very interesting intersection for us that is bringing up a lot of great questions. That's why I love doing this podcast. I love deep diving into what this means. How can we navigate this? How do we put these things together? And so several months ago, when I started thinking about producing this podcast, I was going to name it Unsandwiched. I figured that was too abstract of a term to have for the podcast. And so I ended up eventually writing a course, which is my manifesto for the mindset and challenges and 
problem solving for this particular phase of life. And I did end up naming the course Unsandwiched. So that is still prominent. And I still own the uh, URL unsandwiched.com. So I will do something with that eventually. But the idea that I had behind it was I just didn't really care for any of these passive terms that are sort of like, you know, I'm feeling sandwiched or pressured. I don't find a lot of empowerment in those types and that type of terminology. And so that's where I came up with sort of the the um, antithesis of that, which would be to be unsandwiched. And and so one of my sayings is uh, along the lines of the unsandwiched concepts I have is like, I'm not sandwiched, I'm charcuterie. So as far as being unsandwiched, unsandwiched to me is a state of mindset management where I've got my values very clear. I've got my thought, supervision, and management under good control. And the results and the way that people are experiencing me does not feel stressed or harried or or otherwise pressured. And I, I think that there are enough inherent pressures and challenges coming with raising your own kids and supporting aging adults. And what I think we can solve is the extra stories and the amplification of some of those stressors. And that really is the the reason I wrote the course Unsandwiched for, for that, to explore that even further. So I know this was a really short podcast. I wanted to make sure that I had a chance to talk about the Unsandwiched concept. If you'd like to learn more, like I said, that course that I've been working on for several months is now published. Please go to the show notes. Take a look at it if you're interested. Please send me a uh, message on Instagram. If you're a podcast listener, I'll send you a special link with a discount on it. I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. We just hit a thousand downloads as of the recording of this podcast. So I, I couldn't be happier and, and just more, more thrilled that there is an audience for this and that hopefully people are gaining insights and having more conversations outside of the podcast and really helping us grow and thrive to become unsandwiched as a whole. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week.